do. Thank you for the lifting of your word. We do thank you for being here with us this morning. And we pray, Lord, as we sit under your word, that you would you share is your voice. Mm-hmm. That you would speak into each heart. That you would meet each one of us just where we are. That you would touch us where we need touching. That you would correct us where we need correcting. And Lord, that you would not only use Sheila for our good, but that you would bless her as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. (coughs) Well, we're going to carry on this morning, and we're going to carry on looking at Peter. And this morning we're looking at Peter walking with Jesus and how he learnt to walk. And I've got two readings about Peter. The first one is in Matthew 14. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22 to 33. And my Bible entitles this, Jesus walks on the water. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and they said, it is a ghost, and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And then we're just going to turn over to Mark. Mark 8. Mark 8, verse 31 to 33. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. You know, 
those who sort of, we, we've been coming a little while, and you'll know that I've got four grandsons. And out of those four, two of them did not find it easy learning to walk. Uh, my eldest grandson had problems, and he was, oh, well turned two before he learned to walk. And my, our Graham's eldest, he also had problems. Um, he, he's got problems with, with weak ligaments. And it took him a while to learn to walk. But, you know, as a doting grandma, I was delighted with any steps that they took. Anything. You know, they would take a step forward and fall flat on their face. You're delighted, because at least they're trying. They are trying to walk. And do you know what? Doting Grandma was always there when they needed help and encouragement. And Peter was like that. He had to learn how to walk with Jesus. He had to learn how to walk through all circumstances. And it should be the same. It's the same for us, really, because we've got to walk, learn to walk with Jesus through all the circumstances in life. Because life is not always going to treat us nicely. We're going to find there are times when we're in storms and all sorts of things. We need to learn to walk with Jesus. It's not easy. These things are not easy. He may come to in, us in ways we do not expect. But you know what? Just like the doting grandma that I was, Jesus is always there to help us when we fall. And he's there to support us and encourage us through the difficult times. So Peter's walk with Jesus had only just begun. We talked yesterday about how he was getting to know him, meeting him, getting to know him as a friend. But now Peter has to learn to walk with him in a variety of different situations. When life gets tough, when Jesus comes to him in unexpected ways, stepping out in faith in response to Jesus' call. It's not easy when it's stepping out in faith. Jesus asking him to do something he didn't want to do or when he wants to do his own thing or just plain stepping out of your comfort zone. You know, we have to learn how to do these things with Jesus. And before we go on to the ones we've talked about today, we're just going to revisit yesterday when it was the calling of the first disciples. And Jesus came to them when they were in that boat on the Sea of Galilee and asked them, to pull out a little way from the shore. They could have said no. They could have said, no, we've, we've been up all night. We really don't want to do that. We've caught no fish. It's not worth it. But they decided, they made a decision to take this small step of obedience for Jesus. And do you know what? It was that first step in a lifetime of serving the Lord. And we never know when we take those small steps, where those, that is going to lead us. Years ago, when I took that first step, I had no, I mean, I used to sit in, you know, in the hall and I used to listen to all these people giving these Bible reads. Never in a month of Sundays did it enter my head that I might be up here. So you never know where you're going to be led. The important thing is to take those small steps as Jesus leads us on. So he asked them to let their nets down in deep water. Went against all their fishermen's instinct. It was decision time. And they decided 
they made that decision to follow Jesus and to obey. And, you know, we have to make that decision as well at times in our lives. You know, Peter had to let go of the captaincy of the boat almost to let Jesus be the captain. Who's going to be captain in, in our lives sometimes? You know, who's going to be the captain in our boat of life? Is it me or is it Jesus? And, you know, we ask Jesus to be Lord and it's wonderful when we start walking with him. But as we walk, we find that other Lord in our life that was the ruler before we came to know Jesus, self, is still there. He is still kicking and screaming and fighting for supremacy of our lives. He doesn't want Jesus on the throne. Self wants to be on the throne. And uh, yeah, I used to have a real problem with this. And it was such a relief to me when I read in, I think it's, it's Galatians where it is, it says that it is like a civil war inside of you. Self and Jesus are pulling against one another. But you know, it was just like it felt inside of me. There was a tug of war going on as to who, which way I was going to go. It was such a relief to find that Paul had the same problem and that it's been the same problem for the last 2,000 years. You know, it's not unique to me. And do you know the other thing? We don't know, do we, when self is on the throne? We don't know when self is on the throne because he creeps back all unknowing. And we only really know when something happens in our life. Maybe we, you know, we do something we shouldn't do. Maybe we're finding we're getting very hard-hearted towards people, people that we love and we know we do love, and yet we get hard-hearted. That's when self is back on the throne of our life. And, you know, I, I had an experience once where we were having a mortgage, we needed a mortgage, and we wanted to get this mortgage extended for an extension. And I said, whatever the Lord wants, I will be happy with. So we took it in, and they refused it. Well, you've never seen anybody more devastated than I was. What happened to whatever the Lord wants, I will be happy with? It just flew out of the window. And, you know, I had to learn, I had to submit to the Lordship of Jesus. Self was on the throne again, but I had to put Jesus back on the throne. And I had to confess self was on the throne. And it was a lesson to be learnt. And, you know, I've, it happens, still happens, but we kn I, I recognise it now. Right. There were my additions for this morning. Back to what I was saying. And, you know, sometimes God calls us to do things that are difficult, really difficult. And we don't want to. Self inside us says, I don't want to do that. You know, maybe sin is asking you to confess to some sort of sin. And he wants you to come and to tell him about it. But you know what? Pride inside you won't let you. It won't let you go to Jesus because it doesn't want to be made a fool of. But Jesus says, decision time, come to me. And it's all part of learning to walk with him. Another time is if we've been hurt, badly hurt, and the Lord says to you, 
forgive. Oh my goodness. You know, if you haven't been badly hurt, forgiveness isn't so bad. But if you've been badly hurt, forgiveness is really difficult. And this is another time when we have to make our decision. Are we going to do what Jesus wants? Or are we going to do what self wants? You know, what about if he's asking us to do something and we know we could lose our reputation? You don't want to lose your reputation, especially your Christian reputation. And to lose your Christian reputation in the sight of the world, well, you know, then you really felt you've let him down. Jesus says, submit to me. Self says, not on your life. And it's that tug inside us, that civil war going on inside us. But, you know, when everything is pulling against us, we can set our will to do what God wants us to do. And that's when we make that decision. We make that decision when we set our will to do what God wants us to do. Now, that's not easy because our emotions then come to the fore and pull us in all sorts of directions. You know, and it's when our emotions start fighting that we actually know what's really going on inside us. Because they are, I don't know, they're the windows on the soul, really. They reveal the truth about what's going on in, inside us. And they're going to pull us in these different directions. But once again, we've got to say to the Lord, I made that decision to come with you. And because emotions will bring up all sorts of unchristlike feelings. Repent of them. They're not what Jesus would do. If, if it's something that Jesus wouldn't do, we need to repent of it because we've not got him on the throne of our lives. And you know, it might take years, but after a while, all those emotions will fall into line and peace of mind will return. But Peter submitted to God's will and what was the result of his obedience and his submission? It was... You know, the Lord worked. The Lord began to work in his life. Now, when we next meet Peter, Jesus had just fed the 5,000. It's what we read this morning. And there was a meeting um, with Jesus that showed Peter another side of him. It showed him the power over the laws of nature. But after he'd done this, Jesus felt the need to go to one side and spend time in prayer. So he told his disciples to get into the boat and to go on ahead of him to the other side of the lake. Now you see, the disciples had learned about obedience. So they obeyed. They'd learned this when they agreed to let the, night, the nets out again and now they were putting it into action again as they walked with Jesus. They set off and everything was calm. And by evening... They had made good progress and reached the middle of the lake. But then we read in verse 24 that the wind had changed and that the, that the disciples were having a problem rowing into the wind. You know, we have to learn as we're walking with the Lord that things don't always go smoothly. What had at first seemed an easy task when they'd been required to go out had become a far more difficult one. 
Can you identify with this situation the disciples find themselves in? You set out in what you think is obedience to the Lord and then things start. Things come up and things are going wrong. They've been asked by Jesus to do something. But after a while, things began to get difficult. And sometimes, when this happens, we begin to question ourselves. You know, is this where God really wants me, we say to ourselves? Or did I make a mistake in his calling when he put me in this place? Or how can I be doing God's will when everything is going wrong? Have you been there? I've been there many times. But remember, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing when he told his disciples to get into the boat. He knew that the wind would get up. He knew that they would face problems. But he also knew he would be there with them and watching over them. We had a lady who came to church and she only came because of poor health and she wanted healing. Somebody had told her if she came to Jesus, she would get healed. So she came, but she found she didn't get healed. That wasn't what Jesus had for her. So she turned her back on the church and we never saw her again. No, because things didn't go as she wanted. So Jesus is watching over them in all situations. And this was something else that the, um, that the disciples had to learn as they walked, that Jesus is watching over them in all situations. They might have felt alone in the windy weather, but Jesus was up on the hills watching. He was aware of what they were going through. He hadn't deserted them. And our Jesus is in heaven. And he's watching over us. He knows what's happening. He doesn't desert us. He doesn't let us go. He walks with it through us. Walks with us through it. Okay. So they, were, they had to learn that this was God's way for them. Because, you know, we all live in a sinful world. And not everything goes right, even for the Christians. And Jesus knew what the future held for these disciples. He knew that they were going to face even greater difficulties than this. And he was preparing them for that time. He was preparing them for what he knew was to come. They needed to know that just because things weren't going right for them, it didn't mean they were out of God's will. It could be God's will for them at that time. And we need to know the same. Just because things aren't going right doesn't mean you're out of his will. You know, and we only realise, in hindsight, what we have learnt through that adversity. We only realise through hindsight that we've put down roots that we could never have put down if any, everything had been going right. But did you notice as well that Jesus didn't come to them immediately? The Romans divided the night into four watches. It was six to nine, nine to twelve, twelve to three, and three to six. And we are told he didn't come to them until the fourth watch 
So they were in the storm, Jesus watching over them, and then he came to them. Does he always come when we want him? We'd have expected to come as soon as he saw trouble, but he chose not to. He chose to take his time. And it was, you know, we once had a poster at home, and on it it said, God might not come when I want him, but he usually comes on time. And we looked at this poster and we said, well, that's not quite right. That is just not right. And we changed one word on that poster and we changed this one. We said, God might not come when I want him, but he always, always comes on time. It might not be our time when God comes, but it's his time. And his time is always perfect. Do you feel a certain empathy with the disciples? Times in your lives when you wish Jesus would help, but he seems far away? They had things to learn through this. Maybe he wanted to teach them about faith. Maybe he wanted to strengthen their faith. Maybe he wanted for certain circumstances to come together before he could work. Maybe he was waiting for them to bend their will to his. This is why he doesn't come sometimes with us, because we will not bend our will to him. Maybe he's waiting to bring us to the end of our own natural human resources, because they are very powerful and they are very capable, and we don't let go of them easily. Maybe there's sin in our lives and we need to repent. There's all, he always does things at the right time, and we've, often, we've usually got things that we need to learn through it. So do we always recognize Jesus when he comes? Do you know what? The disciples didn't recognize him. They'd spent months with him but they didn't recognize him when he came. They thought he was a ghost. They knew him well. They expected to know him anywhere, but still they didn't recognize him as he came towards them. You know, we don't always see when the Lord is going to speak to us. I've, I had a brother-in-law who was in the army. It was in the Paris. And he was quite he was sort of rough and, you know, he, he, he said what he, well, <laughs> he, he spoke his word and he said what he thought and, and he enjoyed all that sort of running around the Brecon beacons that the paras do and this sort of thing. And I was going through trouble and he didn't know, he didn't know what was happening in my life and he came round to see me and he suddenly started talking about how the Lord kept them in the Brecon Beacons when the blizzards came down. And I thought, what is he talking about here? But he said, when the blizzard and it starts to snow and you're on the top of those mountains, he said, it can very quickly become a whiteout and you can't see where you are going. And he said, if you carried on in that, you know, he said, we would be sure to die. So he said, what we have to do is take our tents and we have to erect our tents and put them up and then we get inside our tent and we stay there 
until the blizzard has eased or stopped. And I knew, I knew that this was a word for me. You know, and it came from the most unexpected source. You'd expect it from a Christian or a counsellor or someone, but it came from Mick, the paratrooper. And the Lord said, when you're going through a difficult time, like you've been doing, he said, get into your tent. He said, because if you don't, you will get lost. And you never know what might happen then. He said, get into your tent. He said, and your tent is me. He said, Jesus is your tent for this time. Get in there and stay there. Stay in me until this blows over, until you feel ready to come out. And he said, if you poke your head out and you're not ready to come out, go back again. Such, it was such a help, such a help in time, in that time, I could go back into, into Jesus, where I found peace and comfort and strength and love and grace. He was there for me at that time. But it was unexpected. So we got to look for Jesus in unexpected places. We got to learn to recognize him when he comes in unexpected ways. But why didn't they recognize him when he came to them? Well, I think it was because, like me, they didn't expect to see Jesus in that particular place. They expected him to be in the boat with them. Yep, that would have been acceptable. They would expect him to be on dry land with them. Fine, that's where they were not used to seeing him. Walking on the water? That wasn't the place they expected to see Jesus. And do you know what? They almost missed him. They almost missed him because he came to them in an unexpected way. And you know, we can do that, can't we? So easy to limit God by only expecting him to see him at work in certain circumstances and effectively ruling him out of others. And it's not just in our personal lives that it's like this. It's in our church lives and our lives witnessing and seeing God at work in the world. You know, we expect him to work in a certain place, but if we opened our spiritual eyes and looked around us, he's working in a different place. But if we don't look, we might miss him. We've got to open our minds as to where Jesus might be and not limit God. You know, and Peter and the disciples were learning not to limit God. Are we learning that in our lives? He came walking on the sea as a ghost. In a, it frightened them, and it caused them to cry out. But do you know what? He immediately responded to their cry. When they cried out, when they let go of all their own self and their own abilities and cried to him, he responded. And he, you know, he said, do not be afraid. I am here. Jesus, his Lord and Master, had come to Peter and the disciples and they were heartened and thrilled and encouraged to see him. 
Now, what happened then? You see, this is interesting what happened then. Peter wanted to get out to the Lord. And he said to the Lord, can I come to you? He asked the Lord's permission to step out onto the water. And Jesus said, come. So Peter stepped out of the boat. And what happened to Peter? He walked on the water to start with, but then he started to sink. He started to sink. The result of that step in faith was that he started to sink. There was a problem. He started walking on the water at first, but he looked to the wind. He was afraid. Why did Jesus allow that? Why did he allow that to happen? Why did Jesus call to him and then seem to let him down? Well, you know, Jesus was going to ask a lot of this man during his life. He was going to ask an awful lot of him. And he had to know certain things. And he had to grasp two things, which I think Jesus is trying to teach him at this moment. He needed to know Christ's power in his life. He needed to know that Jesus had the power to uphold him, whatever happened. But Peter also needed to know his own weakness. It's important that he knew his own weakness because he needed to know that if ever he took his eyes off Jesus, things would go wrong. So there were two things Peter had to know, his own weakness and the Christ's power in his life. And if he knew those two things, he could walk with him no matter what happened. He'd just seen the winds and the waves obey Jesus, and yet he was afraid when he set off. But Jesus, when he cried out to him, put out his hand and lifted him up. And do you know what effect it had? It brought Peter, when he sunk, to a place of great need. It brought him to a place where he realised he couldn't save himself. It brought him to a place where he could only cry out to the Lord in his need. And his need drove him to cry out to Jesus. If everything had gone right, Peter would not have learned any of those things. But by golly, did he learn them at that moment. Matthew Henry says, Those that would be saved must not only come to him, but they must cry to him for salvation. Then he says, We are never brought to this until we find ourselves sinking. And then the sense of need will drive us to this. And you know, it is so true even now. All the time we're coping... We stagger on, on our own. It's only when we find ourselves sinking and not coping that we truly cry from the depths of our heart to Jesus. Peter's faith was enough to step out onto the water, but as yet it wasn't enough to see him through when things began to go awry. But do you know what? This was part of Peter's learning to walk with Jesus. So then we turned to Matthew, uh, not Matthew, we turned to Mark. We turned to Mark chapter 8. 
And I've got to find it because, here we go, Mark chapter 8. Yesterday we talked about Jesus' teaching taking another more serious time. And this is what happens when Jesus' teaching takes a more serious turn. Because he says, and he began to teach, this is verse 31, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. This was not what the disciples wanted to hear. That Jesus was going to be taken away, that he was going to be mocked, that people were going to reject him. And, you know, Peter listened to this with absolute growing horror. Horror at what he was hearing. He just acknowledged, the verses before, that Jesus was the Messiah. He was sort of basking in the glory of being the one to acknowledge this. And now Jesus was telling him that he was going to suffer and die. Do you know what? It was most unwelcome news. And Peter registered his disapproval by taking Jesus to one side and rebuking him. You know, telling him, you can't do that, Lord. You know, we need you here. You cannot go and die and go away from us. He loved Jesus, Peter. He didn't want him to suffer. He didn't want him to go. He was really, he was so well-meaning, genuinely concerned. But look at the response of Jesus. Peter was roundly told off. I suspect he didn't expect that. You know, pleading with Jesus to stay and he was roundly told off. What a shock. What a shock for Peter. A little while earlier, he'd a moment of divine inspiration. Now Jesus was telling him he was a stumbling block to him. He'd said it with a sincere heart when he'd said that to Jesus. But Jesus said to him, Get thee behind me, Satan. Why did Jesus say that? Well, do you know, Jesus knew what was coming up. He knew he had no option. He had to go to the cross. He knew that he must suffer. He knew that he must die. But he also knew that he must rise again if he was to fulfill God's will and redeem mankind. Satan did not want Jesus to go to the cross. Satan knew what it would mean. Satan knew that if Jesus went to the cross, it would be the place of life and freedom for Christians. It would be the place where Christians could have victory over Satan. It was the last thing Satan wanted. And he was going to use every means at his disposal to keep Jesus from going to the cross. Jesus knew Peter was sincere in what he said, but he also knew that this was man's thinking and not God's. Man doesn't understand God's thinking. And, P- and Jesus did, and he knew that this was Peter's problem. A sincere heart with man's thinking can so easily lead to us doing things man's way and not God's way. So, you know, no matter how sincere we are, 
we can be sincerely wrong. That can come as a shock to some people that we can be sincerely wrong. Peter was. Not always easy to tell what is of God and what is of our own heart and mind. But yesterday we were talking about our relationship with Jesus, meeting with Jesus, talking to Jesus. And that ongoing relationship with Jesus is vital because it's through that that we learn his thinking. We learn it through prayer. We learn it through the word. We soak up the principles of God and how he thinks. And do you know what? It helps us discern what is of God and what is of after our own hearts and minds. When, um, when the police in the States were trying to find out the difference between forgery, forged notes and genuine notes, they were told, and the way they teach them to do this, is to look at genuine notes. Feel them. Touch them. Look at them. That's what we have to do with Jesus. We have to look to Jesus. We have to get his way of thinking into our minds. We have to learn to walk with Jesus. And what they said about these notes was that if you know the feel and the touch and the look of the genuine, when you pick up a forgery, you will just know that somewhere it doesn't feel right. And you will then, he said, you will know that is a forgery, but you don't learn it from going and looking at all forged, all forged notes. You learn it from looking at the genuine thing. Now, we don't know how Satan is going to get to us. He has all sorts of ways of getting to us. But if we look to Jesus, we will know that when things are happening in our lives, whether they are from the Lord or whether they are from Satan, it will become obvious to us. But one of the ways to help is to know how Jesus thinks. That was a bit of an aside, but never mind. Jesus was well aware of this, that it's not an easy option following the Lord. And he turned to his disciples and he said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself Take up his cross and follow me. The path of discipleship is costly. The path of discipleship is the path of self-denial. The path of discipleship can be the path of the cross. But do you know what? The path of discipleship is one of unimaginable joy. The path of discipleship, if we're following Jesus, is the peace that comes from knowing that it is Jesus who is taking us through these things, that we have to walk with Jesus through these things. But it says he must deny himself. You know, that's quite radical thinking for most people because what we, what we think is we've got to improve ourselves. We've got to make ourselves better. But Jesus says, deny yourself. Jesus always, always said yes to God's will. Self had no place in his life. Jesus denied himself. He was always doing God's will. Always totally and absolutely dependent on God. 
self-trust had no place in his life. And now he's asking this of us. But we're very different, aren't we? We are human. And human nature prefers to indulge self, not deny it. Denying self, it involves surrendering our ambitions, our pride, our desires, our reputations, our own self, anything to Jesus. Anything that gets between me and Jesus, we have to take to the Lord and we have to deny that self that's pulling us in that direction. Jesus also says, take up your cross. Now, we usually think of that as being prepared to suffer for Jesus, and it is part of it. But you know what? When Jesus was talking about taking up your cross, taking up the cross meant that they were going forth to crucifixion. You know, it wasn't a nice thing in those days. It wasn't just, we, you know, we bear our cross for Jesus. Taking up the cross meant you were going to die. It's not a subject we like, is it? But denying self is like putting self to death. And we do it on the cross of Jesus. We take self back to the cross. And it is put to death on the cross. We have to take it, but God does the work there. Satan, through Peter, was trying to make Jesus spare himself, take the easy path. And he tried to persuade him to avoid the cross. But Jesus knew. He knew there was no escape. His death on the cross was the only way that people could be redeemed. It was the only place where self could be put to death. It's the only place that we can find forgiveness. The only place we can find cleansing for those things that are deep inside us. It's the only place we find new life that comes into our heart. For Jesus, the cross was unavoidable. But you know, Satan is still trying the same old track with us today. Jesus says, take up your cross daily. Satan says, go on, indulge yourself, spare yourself, take the easy option. It really isn't that important. And when self rears its ugly head, Satan says, you can cope. You're doing your best. What more could God ask of you? You are getting there. It might be slow, but you are getting there. Or he says, as Andy said the other night, try harder next time. Or take... And do you know what we prefer to do? We prefer to take that ladder that Satan shows us instead of taking up the offer of grace that um, Jesus offers us when we get into the pit. Jesus offers to lift us out of the pit. Self says you've got to climb out of it. Are you going to listen to Satan or are you going to listen to Jesus and deny and put self to death on the cross? Jesus says deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. There is no other way. But Satan wants to keep us away from that cross because he knows that it's the place where we can come as repentant sinners. 
It's the place where, as repentant sinners, we will find grace and mercy. It's the place where we can be changed. It's the place where self can be put to death. It's the place where we can be forgiven and cleansed. And it's the place where we can be renewed and restored. Are you going to take up Satan's offer or Jesus' offer? And you know, Peter never forgot these lessons. He wrote in, uh, in one of his letters, Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. And then he says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around you like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Peter learned his lessons while walking with Jesus. He was a changed man. He was a witness to Jesus. He was a man who became a magnet to the Lord. He learned to lay all his worries and his fears on Jesus. He learned to surrender all to Jesus. And he learned this through the trials and troubles he'd had walking with him. He learned to discern where Satan was at work. And he learned how to stand against him. And eventually Peter passed all this on to other believers. We're also learning to walk with Jesus. What lessons are we learning that we can share with others so that they too might learn to walk with him? Amen. Now, I think you wanted me to read out the questions, didn't you, Dan? Yeah, okay. I hope they make sense. <laughs> well, are they meant to make you think? <laughs> no, I, you know, this is a practical one, and how the Lord is dealing with each one of us. And, you know, if there's only one person on your table can uh, share something about how the Lord is share it, because somebody else might be going through the same thing or might be having to go through it three months later. And they will remember what has been said. So, question one. Who is in charge of my life, me or Jesus, is a question which often arises in our lives. How can you tell when self is back in charge? What do we do about it? Question two. The disciples did not recognize Jesus in this situation. Why do you think they didn't why do you think that happened? And have you seen the Lord working in unexpected ways in your life? Why do you think God allows us to go through difficult times? What do we learn about ourselves? And what do we learn about the Lord through those times? Peter, this question four. Peter and the disciples were learning not to limit God. Are we learning that too? If so, how? 
Satan does not want to go to the cross. What does not want Jesus to go to the cross? Why not? It's fairly sort of blunt, isn't it? Why not? And then the final question six: What do you think denying self means? Share a time when you have had to deny yourself in your walk with Jesus. Six questions. If you answer them in two minutes, it doesn't matter. Just say, discuss something else about Jesus. But let's share what we've learned as we've walked with Jesus.